Good morning, church. Uh, my name is James. I'm sure a lot of you know me. I'm not the pastor of White Oak. The pastor's out of town this week, but uh, he's given me the, the chance to come and speak to you, and I'm always honored whenever, uh, whenever I'm allowed to speak with you guys. And honestly, as I think about it, I think I always start out by saying that I'm honored to speak with you guys. I think it's how I start out every sermon, but it, it, it's true. I, I, I know that your time is valuable, and I know that that it's an honor to be a conduit of God's grace into your lives through the Word. And so I'm always uh, privileged to do that. Um, have you ever think about, like, why you come here week after week? Um, is it to see your friends? It's like, yeah, but we do that all the time outside of these four walls, right? So there must be something more to this place, something more to this time that meets the eye. I think that the reason that you come week after week is that you are drawn to the words of Jesus. You are drawn to the words of a man who could say, I lay down my life and I pick it up again. You are drawn by the words of a man who says, who bids us to come and die that we may truly find life. In a world of chaos and confusion, the words of Jesus have simple authority. They're just there. You, like the officer sent to arrest Jesus, can say, no one ever spoke like this man. You, like the apostle Peter, can testify that Jesus has the words of life. You know, when I was younger, I used to search for deep truths. That was kind of like my thing. I would, I would go and I would try to search for very deep truths and pull and see if I could find what are the, the deepest truths that are out there. But now I search for simple truths that affect me deeply. That's what I'm on search for. And I believe that I have found that truth. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea that we were separated from God, but God in his mercy that overflowed out of who he was, sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, to, 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 to obey every command of God, and to ultimately go to the cross to be our place, that he might reconcile us and God. This is the truth that I'm gripped with. Today we're going to rest on this truth and we're going to rest on two simple truths. You know, I, think, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the gospel and uh, I was thinking that greed can make you richer in this world and philosophy can make you smarter, but the gospel can resurrect your dead body. <laughs> That's the idea that I want to get behind. So today as we press in on these truths, I pray that you would linger on the truth of the gospel with me. I pray that you would, that you would stare at the truth, that you would lock eyes on it, that, that, that whatever else is swirling around in your mind, I mean, I don't think you realize that there's war going on in your mind between the truth of the gospel and the false realities that are given to us by this world and by Satan and by our own fallen nature that try to lie to us. We are at war, and so I pray that you would fix your mind on the truth of God's word. And then I think that you will find 
whenever we're done and we look away, that, that you will look different. You will be transformed by the word. You become like what you behold. And so let us behold Jesus through his word. Let's pray and then we'll read our passage. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, we want to be like you. We want to be like your son. There's no other person ever like him. So full of grace, so full of compassion, so merciful. He spoke with such authority. And that authority resonates with us thousands of years later. Father, we are they who testify that no one has ever spoken like this man. We want to come under his word and we want to learn from him. So Father, may we behold you through your word. And may every single person in this room be transformed by the power of the gospel. It is the only thing that has any power. Be with us, Father. Be with me as I speak your word and I pray that I would be true to it. Father, where I fail, forgive me. And may I not get in the way of the message that you have for these people. Your people. It's in Jesus' name that, that we pray collectively. Amen. So if you have your Bible, would you please open up to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Or if you happen to be my sister, the words will be up on the screen because I borrowed her Bible today. <laughs> Psalm 116. So it's a fairly long passage, but I want us to, to, to read the whole thing and I want us to just, to just rest in it. And I want you to just visualize the images that, that, that come through into your heart and to your soul as we read it. So Psalm 116, hear to the word of the Lord spoken to you. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and, and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. 
I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Indeed, praise the Lord. So this summer, John has been calling us to reflect on prayer, right? We're going through the series, Summer in the Psalms, and we've, we, we first started to learn that we, we pray because God speaks. We pray because God has spoken into creation through the heavens and through the cosmos and through nature, and he's speaking to us about his goodness. But not only that, but he speaks to us through his word, which is the clear revelation of God and all that he wants for us. He's spoken through us through his son, which is the, he is the living word. And everything he says comes straight from the Father. And he continues to speak through us today through his Holy Spirit as we encounter him through prayer, as we encounter him through his word, as we encounter him through each other and each other's lives, as the Spirit in us speaks to each other. God is a speaking God and therefore we pray. Prayer is not only a a state of mind, but it's a conversation between the one for whom we are made and us. And God is the one who initiated that conversation that speaks volumes. Today, we are going to rest on the simple truth that we pray because God listens. See, we're not searching for deep truths here today. We're letting simple truths affect us deeply. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 116. He says, I love the Lord. Why? Because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. We pray because God listens. We live in the mind-blowing reality. We live, we, we, we live and move and walk in the mind-blowing reality that, that the God of the cosmos condescends to listen to what you have to say. Like he's holding planets up and and setting them in motion and and watching them turn and rotate and, and revolve around the sun and at the same time he wants to hear about your day. I think we hear truths so many times and they get told to us so many times that it seems as if they lose their meaning. But just because you've heard something a thousand times doesn't make it any less true. God listens to us. Psalm 8 puts it this way. The psalmist says, Oh God, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. What motivates God to listen to you? Is it dependent on how good you were this week? Is it dependent on how holy you were or how much you read your Bible or how often you went to church? No, it says in this passage in verse 5, it says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. God says, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So the basis for his compassion for you is his compassion for you. Religion says that your righteousness might allow you in the presence of God. 
The gospel says that God's grace guarantees you an audience with God. God listens to you. I mean, he, he really listens to you. I mean, I'm not, not talking about in the, like, the multitasking, you know, like on your phone, having a conversation type listen. I'm, I'm talking about full focus in a way that only God could do on your life, on your struggles, on your pain, on your hopes, on your aspirations. God cares about those things. And not only that, but he really understands you. I mean, I... I I heard a sermon one time by John Piper, and he was talking about um, how we should go to God for understanding who we are, like, like who we are inside and what, what makes us tick. Like, like, you guys know a little bit about me. If you're my friend, you know that I'm introverted kind of, you know, and I, you know, like typically when there's a big party, I come in and I'm like, oh, hey guys, what's up? And then I go to my room kind of thing. You know, that's kind of like my personality. And you guys understand that some, but, but God understands me. Like what makes me tick? How I'm wired? And we know that because the Psalm says that he was intimately involved in informing and crafting you into the person that you are. And yeah, we're, we're marred by sin and we're having to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but he made you with your personality and with your um, character traits and all those different things. Like he made you with those things. And so he intimately understands you. And so as we go to God to prayer, we go to him for understanding and who we are. Let's, let's set aside the idea of like prayer as like just giving God prayer requests and, and kind of how and why he answers prayer, which he does, but I think that that's a, a sermon for a different time. Today I just want us to rest on the fact that prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communion with God. Richard, uh, Richard Foster, uh, he's the author of a super helpful book called Celebration of Discipline. I highly recommend it. He says, answers to prayer are wonderful, but they are only secondary to the main function of prayer, which is a growing perpetual communion with the one who made you. You know, when I was younger and I used to pray, I, I used to say a lot more things like, you know, oh God, like, oh creator of the heavens, oh, oh Yahweh, like all, all these different things that kind of put me in a creator um, creature relationship with God, right? But as I've grown older and as I've um, experienced God through prayer, I find myself every time that I address God, it's, oh Father. It's, oh Father. I hope that you've been reading the book, Why We Pray. Uh, we've been going through it as a church this summer. Um, and in chapter two, we read this week, it says that, that we pray because we are sons and daughters of God. So there's this new relationship between me and God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes him not just distant creator, but intimate father. So I hope that you rest in that reality today. And it's fitting that we talk about this on Father's Day because God has given us earthly fathers to be a, a picture of him as a heavenly father. And I, actually, I heard Francis Chan say one time, he's another uh, good preacher, and he's talked about a lot of times how we relate to God is dependent on how we relate to our own father in this life, right? So if maybe if you had a, 
a, you know, a, a loving father growing up, someone who cared for you and someone who played with you and someone who taught you about life and, and, and lived life with you, then you're probably going to think of God in those terms. But maybe if you had a father who was distant or maybe if you have a father who, who wasn't there growing up, then you think that God's a, an, an absent God, like he's a distant God. Or maybe if you had a father who was um, not so good, then maybe that's how you see God. But I want you to know today that God is a good father to us. That he is near, that he is intimately involved with your lives, that he is good, that he disciplines us for our good even when we don't want it. This is the picture of God that scripture gives to us. I know that my earthly father... I love him a lot, and I, I, I desire to have a relationship with him. I desire to talk with him, and I desire to share my hopes and aspirations and dreams and all those different things with him. And, and I think that he enjoys it when I come to him with those things, right? He, he wants to be involved with in my life. He, he, he wants to be valued by me. It's like God knows that he's valuable, but I think he enjoys the fact when we value him and we come to him with those things. You know, it reminds me of the other day, um, my brother-in-law, Matt, uh, I was sitting with him in uh, the living room, and my niece comes up. If you haven't met her, her name's Abigail, and she's the wild child that runs around the back, usually at the end of the services. Her name is Abigail. And so she, we're just sitting in the room, and she runs up, and she has this, like, box in her hand, and she's, like, super, super excited, right? She's, like, speaking in, like, two-year-old gibberish. I don't even know what she's saying, you know, but she's, like, talking. And so she comes up, and she shows her dad this, this box, and she opens it up, and it's, like, kind of a, I don't even know what it was, maybe a jewelry box or something. And she opens it up, and inside were hair barrettes and some goldfish. And so she excitedly goes up to her dad, Matt, and she shows him these things. And I'm sure Matt wasn't super impressed with what was inside of that. He's seen those things before, you know. But he, he, I, I could truly see value in her coming to him and just sharing with him something that she had discovered. And I think it's the same way with us and God. God's not surprised by anything that we're going to discover in life, but I think that he enjoys when we come to him with the discoveries of life, whether good or bad, whether it's something good we discover about him or about our world or about our job or something. And we're like, God, this is awesome. And he's like, I know, I gave it to you. Or maybe we go to him about something that's not so good in our life and we're like, God, Why? He helps us work through those things and he helps us ultimately see that they're for his glory. So, you know, I've gotten kind of halfway through the sermon and uh, I really haven't told you to do anything yet. You know, it's kind of the, as I, every time I listen to a sermon and I listen to someone preach, I'm always sitting there waiting for the thing that I got to do, right? Because that's usually what you have to take away from a sermon. What do I do? But I think it's wrapped up in our fallen condition to assume that we can add to anything that God has already done. We're always looking for that it that we have to do to contribute to the gospel. But I think that's what John, our pastor, has been trying to preach over the last few weeks. And what I am preaching you today is that it is already done. Jesus said on the cross, it is 
finished. The only thing left to do is to believe. Is to believe in the gospel. We've read a passage about God's deliverance, about his grace, about his mercy, about his compassion. And what does the writer tell himself to do? What is his response to God's goodness? Evan touched on this at the beginning during our gospel moment. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest. Return, O my soul, to your rest. And so that's the the rock that I'm trying to set you on today. Return, O white oak, to your rest. The Lord has been good to you. The Lord has been exceedingly good to you. Do not live in anxiety. Do not be troubled in this life. The Lord has been good to you. How can, how can you say that, James? I mean, do you know the kind of chaos that is swirling around in my life right now? Do you know the very real pain that I'm experiencing throughout this week and today? I know. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I'm going through pain myself. These things happen to all of us. But the reason I can say these things is because the most dangerous part of your life is over. The most dangerous period of your life is over. I want you to to press in on this with me, kind of reflect on this with me. The most dangerous period of your life was the day that you were born up to the day that you believed in the gospel. Right? This period of your life when you walked in rebellion against the God who made you. This period of your life, whenever you, 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 you walked in straight up rebellion, you were dead in your sin. When every step that you took, took you farther and farther away from the God who made you. This period of your life when you flirted with sin, as you pulled sin closer to you, as she, she put her dagger into your heart. That's the picture that I have of it. We drew sin close and it was killing us. But today, for those who have trusted in the gospel, you live as rescued people. You see, this psalm is your story, as Evan said. You see, typically psalms have an author with them, like maybe a psalm of David or a psalm of Solomon or something like that. And they have a context, usually right in the superscript above the psalm, that tells you kind of why was this song written. But this one has none of that. The only two characters in this psalm are God and I. You are the I in the story. Death tried to trample you. The pangs of Sheol wrapped around your feet. You were in anguish. You were troubled. And then someone came along and shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you prayed prayed out, God, deliver my soul. And he did. And he did it because Jesus took our place. We did it because Jesus got between the danger that was between us and our sin and the path that we were on. The pangs of Sheol wrapped around his feet. Death trampled him. He was in anguish. He was in distress. He took on 
all the things that were meant for us. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed the same prayer that we were going to pray, or that we had to pray, which was, God, deliver my soul. Spare me from this hour. But Jesus knew the cost. And instead of sparing Jesus, God crushed him. Death swallowed him up for us. But Jesus, being the righteous son of God and being the perfect sacrifice, death couldn't hold him down. It couldn't keep him, so it spit him out. And now he stands in victory in front of the Father, interceding for you every single day. He stands in victory and he beckons us into a life of rest in the gospel. You see, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him, you live in a perpetual state of rescue. You live as rescued people. Romans says, for there is neither are neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death can't even stop you. I mean, it's like God so far removed death from us that the Bible says Christians don't even die. They fall asleep. It's like God didn't even want to give death the momentary satisfaction of saying that it had any claim over us. So, it says, so the Bible just says we fall asleep and then we wake up and we're in heaven. We don't die. We fall asleep. So when not even death has hold over you, nothing can touch you. You are untouchable. God himself is before us and behind us and hems us in and he protects us. So return, O white oak, to your rest. This rest, this peace is already yours through the gospel. God holds it out. Jesus holds it out on a silver platter to you. Take it. You say, okay, I have that rest, right? So if I have it, why don't I feel it? Why do I still go through life in anxiety? Why, so I do, so why do I go through life with, with pain and fear and frustration and all these different things? And I think one reason is because we're not praying. I think the gospel gives us rest, but prayer helps us feel and experience that rest. When we pray, God listens. The Bible says in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer has a way of, of loosening the bonds of our anxiety. Prayer has a way of giving us a peace that surpasses all of our understanding. So that's your encouragement to pray today. We don't pray because we have to. We pray because we must. If you want to experience the rest of the gospel, we must be praying people. 
And we know that once we surrender our anxiety to God, we come to the calming realization that he's going to take care of everything. As we draw this time to a close, I just want to leave you with this encouragement that people who rest in the gospel get things done. You see, when you're not weighed down by burdens that Jesus never intended you to carry, burdens like anxiety, burdens like fear of the future and all those different things, when you're not weighed down by those weights, the possibilities for your life are endless. Death can't stop us. Nothing can stop us. We can move forward. We can, we can go feed the poor. We can go have global impact. We can serve our community. We can love one another. When we're living in the rest of the gospel, it propels us into lives of radical abandon for the sake of the gospel. And so I say, this is my encouragement, be an expert in the gospel. Know it, preach it to yourself every day. And when you feel those cords of death starting to to, to wrap around your feet again, to, to, to drag you down, You preach the gospel to those cords of death. Preach the gospel to yourself. Live in it and walk in it. It must be your first offense. Just uh, lastly, if if you are here and you have not tasted and seen the rest of the gospel by believing in Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to do that. There's no rest apart from God. There's no philosophical system. There's no economic system. There's no country. There's, there's nothing in the world that provides rest besides Jesus Christ. We want you to come. I pray that you would come on Sunday. All of us, I pray that we would all come on Sunday. That we would continue to come, not because we have to, but because we want to sit under the rest of the words of Jesus. say that we love you here, we welcome you here, and uh, whether you're just starting out your faith journey or whether you've been walking on it for a long time, we want to know that, that you are welcome to come. Bring your sin, bring your anxiety, bring all those different things. The only thing that we ask is that you leave those things here at the altar, and that you would leave as people who are free in Christ. One story, and then I'll close. Um, a lot of you probably heard that Elizabeth Elliot Uh, passed away this week. Elizabeth Elliot was um, the wife of the missionary Jim Elliot and was also a missionary herself. Uh, Her husband, I believe back in the 50s, went to go minister to to some people in Ecuador and they were um, a tribe in Ecuador who'd never been given the gospel before and he goes to those people and they end up killing him um, because he was proclaiming the gospel and uh, a a couple of years later she goes back and she ministers to those same people who killed her husband. And not only that, but for 40 years after that, she traveled the world writing books, um, preaching the gospel, living the gospel out herself, loving people and being an advocate for those people who her husband was trying to reach. She says, uh, I'll end with this quote, she says, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord. 
putting all my energy and strength into it. That is gospel rest. The things that she went through, the pain that she experienced, she submitted it to God in prayer. She rested in the gospel, and he propelled her into being a wonderful servant. So whatever that looks like for you, I pray that you would rest in the gospel and you'd go, give, go live lives of radical abandon. Um, that's my hope and that's my plea. Uh, will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to rest in the gospel. Father, I pray that this phrase, return, O white oak, to your rest, would be appropriated and would be personalized by each person here. That they would not leave feeling bad about themselves, but that they would leave feeling good about you, about your mercy. I mean, all that you do for us, Father, everything in our life, good, bad, and in between, is mercy, mercy, mercy. We are your rescued people. Father, I pray that those who are in here would, would not see themselves as defined by their sin or defined by their failures or defined by their brokenness or defined by whatever stupid thing that they did this week. But I pray that they would be defined by the gospel. I pray that they would be defined by the gospel. Father, I pray that they would be defined by the gospel, which says to them that they are sons and daughters of you. Father, may we enter into that rest today, the rest that is already ours. May we live lives of radical abandon, knowing that whatever happens at the very end of all things is you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.